Hey, it's Dr. Whitney. I'm an author, a coach, and a mama to two growing girls. Yep, I do it all. Well, actually, that's not true. I used to do it all. Now, I only really do the things that matter most to me. If that feels too good to be true, it's not. Here's the thing. Before I became a mom, I was totally thrilled with the idea of doing everything and being everything to everyone. I was told that if I just kept swimming, everything would work out fine. But I was dead wrong. Hustle culture, perfectionism, and the endless hamster wheel of work mom life weighed me down. That feeling of never giving enough but having absolutely no more to give brought me to my knees. My first daughter, who was diagnosed with autism this year, was an endless well of needs. My relationship with my husband was full of more resentment than love. Our second daughter felt left in the dust and told me one day she thought I didn't love her. But I couldn't get off the roller coaster of my working mom life. I was heartbroken, but I was also exhausted and hardly ever the joyful present mom or career woman I always thought I'd be. Making time for activities that fed my soul on a regular basis? <laughs> what time for that? And as a result, I wasn't as effective at my job. I didn't show up as my best self at the office. My performance suffered at home and at work. Do you identify with that? To feeling completely overwhelmed and overworked? To drowning in mental clutter and a sea of stress? To wishing you had more to give at the office and at home? That was me burnt out and ready to call it quits until I decided I couldn't juggle that demand, those heavy burdens of life, of motherhood in the workplace without a sustainable system I could use to get off and stay off the hamster wheel. So I created a framework that worked for me, but also for all the other caregivers I connect with in my clinic and online. And now I coach career-focused caregivers to organize their stress and clear their mental clutter so they can live purposeful, aligned lives. I help overwhelmed moms get off the work-life home hamster wheel so they can be the parents, partners, people, and professionals they always dreamed they'd be. Are you ready to live a more joyful, productive, and mentally uncluttered life? To give more without draining yourself? To spend your time, energy, and focus on what matters most to you so you can thrive and everyone around you can too? Then go to modernmommydoc.com and click on coaching so you can be part of the momversation. Welcome to the Modern Mommy Doc Podcast. I'm Dr. Whitney Caceres. I'm a full time pediatrician and a full time modern mom. I speak and write about equipping mamas to raise resilient, healthy children and to invest in their own social-emotional health along the way. Each week, we'll give you the practical tools you need to win at parenting without losing yourself. Welcome back to the Modern Mommy Doc 
podcast. Today, I have Lydia Finette. She is the author of Claim Your Confidence. And I'm excited to have her because she is a fellow hustler. We were just talking before we started recording the podcast about all the things we've done to try to put ourselves out there, then follow through on these commitments that we've made to bring ourselves to new heights. And I think that for a lot of moms, Lydia, we're constantly reaching, we're trying to get to new heights. And part of the thing that really holds us back actually from meeting our true potential is this idea you talk about, which is the super parent, this myth that moms, but parents in general can do it all, can be it all, can have that keep on attached to them. So welcome to the show, Lydia. So glad you're here. And it's... Yeah, it's just our pleasure to have you. And it's always my pleasure to be with other moms who have kind of the same ilk. So Lydia, tell us a little bit more about your story of a very interesting story and and how you got to the place you are right now. Well, I grew up in a small town in Louisiana. If we start at the very beginning and I am one of four siblings. And we have sort of grew up in a rock tumbler of a family where we were always being allowed to try things and fail with so much, so much fun. And I think as a result of that, over the course of my life, it has led me down the path where I'm really willing to try a lot of different things. And that came about in college when I read an article about a place called Christie's Auction House, this mythical auction house in New York City. And it was a place where they transact art. It wasn't a museum where you go and look at art. It was a place where they are literally buying and selling art. And the article was about Princess Diana's dresses being sold there and how this beautiful, glamorous group of people showed up on Park Avenue and all of these amazing women in their gorgeous dresses and their amorous scarves were walking around because they worked at this auction house and they traveled around the world. And it seemed so glamorous that I just felt like I needed to be there. And it really became this obsession that I would work at Chrissy's auction house without really having a family that was an art collecting family. I didn't really know anything about auction houses. Neither of my, neither of my parents did, my, our friends didn't. And it was just a series of things that finally led me there. I applied for an internship. They said, no, I kept asking. I finally got it just by sheer perseverance going back time and time again. And once I got in the doors, I didn't want to leave. And when you work at an auction house, an amazing byproduct of that is that you see this world of auctioneering. And I've always loved the stage. I've always loved being in front of people, but I didn't really know what I was ever going to do with that performance. Love, you know, I loved singing when I was younger, but I'm not a singer, you know, and in your adult life at some point, if you're not going to take that path, it kind of passes you by. But auctioneering really appealed to me. And I tried out I made it. I was very young. I was solidly, you know, in many cases, probably 10 or 15 years younger than most of the people and really one of the only women. And I passed a four-day class where they just cut people day after day after day. And finally, I was allowed to get on stage. And once I started getting on stage, I wasn't even good at what I was doing, but I just felt like I could get better. And that challenge kept me going up there time and time again. And so I was taking charity auctions By the end of my second year, probably 80 to 100 a year on top of a full-time job. And it became so much a part of my personality that, you know, my friends always knew that during the peak gala season in New York City, they weren't going to see me until 9.30 or 10 o'clock at night. Like I was, you know, always getting the end of dinner and always dessert as I rolled off stage. But that really laid the groundwork for so many lessons that I've learned over the course of my life and ultimately became 
the reason I wrote my first book, The Most Powerful Woman in the Room is You, because every time I got off stage, there was a young woman there standing there to tell me how much they hated selling and how they couldn't sell mm-hmm. what they made or themselves and how people rejecting them was them being rejected. And I just felt like there was a niche and a moment to write this book about selling as a woman. And so that became my first book. And, you know, as you mentioned, I just finished my second book on confidence, which came out two weeks ago, and it's called Claim Your Confidence. And it's really about furthering that journey and telling those stories about continuing to find your voice and as a parent to find your footing. You know, I have three children and part of the evolution, as many of us know, if you are a mom, is if you have a career, whether you're in the home or not in the home working, the bottom line is you have to find your footing and you have to find your voice. So many pieces that I want to dig into from what you said. First of all, let's go back to your childhood, what you were saying about being in kind of this environment where you were allowed to fail so much. What do you think your parents did that fostered that idea? Because now looking back on your childhood, that's what you can see clearly they were doing. But of course, in the moment, you didn't know. So tell me some of the ways that they raised you so that you felt like you were able to actually have resilience. You were able to actually overcome when you fell down. It's so funny that you asked this question, Whitney. So this morning, my son, my eight-year-old son, he plays squash and he went into a game that he really thought he was going to win. He hasn't played a lot of matches and off he went with so much confidence. And my husband texted me on the way home and he said, so Henry lost the match and he came home and he came in and he was so upset. He like sort of sat down, put his head in my lap and he was pretty, pretty near tears. And I opened my second book and I read him a chapter called never give up, which was when I was growing up, my last name is Finette. My family name is Finette. And my dad was Bob Finette. And everyone always just said like Bob Finette had these golden rules. And one of them was never give up. And it was mm-hmm really something we always talked about as children. And I said in the chapter, I learned that rule in middle school because I played on three sports teams for four years that never won a game, literally never won a game. And my parents, (laughs) I, 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 I said in the most amazing lesson for me was I always thought we were going to win the next game. And my parents, instead of saying, okay, you're not, you lost 50 to two this basketball game. So you're not going to win next week. What they would say instead was, oof, that was a really tough loss, but I think you're going to win next week. And I was like, you know, I do too. I think we're going to win next week. And it was just this amazing thing. And we didn't, we never won. There was no, you know, marching off the field. We finally did it victory that I can remember. It was just this sort of, we tried and that was enough. We got out there mm-hmm. and we tried it. I left I left that school, that small Episcopalian day, day school in Lake Charles, Louisiana to go to a boarding school in the Northeast. My mom is British. And so boarding school was very much a part of her life. And you know, she talked about it from a very early age and I became obsessed with going to boarding school. This is like all I wanted. And I arrived at the school in Connecticut, which is, it's called Taft. It's a beautiful school, an amazing campus. And a lot of the kids come from the Northeast and the competition was fierce. And a lot of the people on the sports teams had been playing places. I'd never even heard of the sports, like field hockey and lacrosse mm-hmm. in Louisiana. And I'm also almost six feet tall. So you can imagine field hockey is not a great sport if you have to bend in half while you run down the field. And I remember getting on the thirds team, which is basically like, you know, inter- it's like your intermediate sort of whatever team. And we lost early on. And one of the women on the team or, you know, high school girls 
through a stick. <laughs> and I remember I was eating an orange slice on the sideline and I was like, what on earth? You know, I am so competitive, but having lost so many times, it almost gives you this invincibility where you're like, God, we tried so hard, but we just did not win. <laughs> yeah. I really credit my parents with just letting me play on those teams and God bless them for sitting through those games because they were there every single time. And letting you lose. You know, I, I actually think that's really interesting. I have a similar story that happened to me as I was applying for medical schools where I am not the best standardized test taker, which in on the path to medicine, it's all about standardized tests. I was the valedictorian. I was the, you know, 4.0 GPA. I'm a hard worker. I'm relatively smart. But when it came to taking all those standardized tests that get you into medical school, I just wasn't the person. And so I applied and I applied and I applied and I was rejected and I was rejected and I was rejected. And I finally got accepted to one school. And I remember the night before I got accepted that my dad said, my dad's very much about keep on trying. If you did your best, then you did enough. But he goes, what's plan B? What's going to be plan B if you don't end up getting into medical school? And my mom looked at him and she goes, there is no plan B. <laughs> and my mom is not like a dance mom. My mom's not a, you know, she wasn't like pushing me if I didn't want it, but she knew that's what I wanted. She knew that was the thing that I had visualized that, you know, there was no visioning at that time in my life, but like the thing that I would have visualized to be, this is the person that I want to be. And she believed in me and she believed that the failures that I had didn't define what my success would be later. Yep. Absolutely. And that's what I hear you saying as building confidence, a having experience with losses, having experience with failures and getting comfortable with that. Yes. And not being afraid to put yourself out there. Cause that's the other thing, because once you realize, and, and actually the beauty of all that failure is that you realize you survive it. It doesn't define you and it doesn't yeah. kill you. So at the end of the day, does it feel great to lose? No. Does it feel great to fail? No. But at the same time, as you get older, every single time you do that and the stakes get higher and greater as you get older and you, these things are becoming bigger and bigger and bigger in your life, you, you've sort of built up this immunity you know, you've built up this staying power and this resilience. And, you know, when you start a business, when you launch a new business, one thing I've learned over the years is you have to almost be egoless in the failure process. Mm. So, you know, if you try something out and it doesn't work, then you let the part that fails fall away and you just let it go and you move towards the things that do work. And I think the same can be said in life. You know, if things aren't serving you over time, you can let them fall by the wayside. And again, if you just let your ego go and be like, that did not work, it did not serve what I was doing at that time, or it did not serve me, let it go. So that was going to be my next question, kind of differentiating being dogged about something, going towards something where they say, you know, doing the same thing and having the same result over and over and over again. What's the definition of that? Crazy. Like, how do you keep from going at something full force when it's not working and you keep failing versus shifting to something that will. And I think what you just said is you be egoless enough to look at it objectively to say, that's not a part of my identity. Is there some other way in which it should work? Exactly. You know, I, I'm sure that you have come across over the course of your life as I have friends who work in jobs that they hate and it can be years long 
in their hatred of what they do. They Mm -hmm. they don't like it. They don't like their boss. And it is the same conversation year after year after year. And that can be a job. That could be anything you do in your life. If you keep doing it over and over and over again with the same result, you're right. It's crazy. So my point is, as a child in a very safe environment, in a sports environment, there is something set up that's a structure you cannot change. We were a small private school. We were playing huge public schools. We were going to lose pretty much every time. And that was what it was. But in the the course of life, that is rarely the case. There is Mm -hmm. always room to let things fall and to pivot. And when I say never give up, never give up in the pursuit of a goal, but also remember that the standard of a goal, what you set as a goal, oftentimes is not what it's going to look like when it hits its final success point. So I say that it's, I've seen that in my own career where I think that something's going to end up as this is, this is how success looks. This is what it's going to look like and all this stuff. And then when Mm -hmm. I actually get to the point where I'm like, I hit the goal, it actually doesn't look anything like I thought it was going to. And that's because I let the things that don't work and don't serve me go by the wayside. You know, I'll give you an example. I just launched a masterclass during COVID. I was really bored, not because I had a lot of time, but just like mentally, I was just mm-hmm. more stimulation. And so, and also my husband at the time had lost his job and I, I was the sole breadwinner in the family at that point. And also I had taken a major pay cut for my company and I was sort of like, we need to make money fast. And the easiest way I could think of doing that is through thought leadership. People need to learn things online. I have a lot of skills that all can be translated. If I put a put a number on it, let's see. Who knows? If people don't want to do it, they don't have to. So I launched this masterclass series on four different topics, sales, negotiations, networking, and public speaking. And I did sort of a sample sale model. I was like, I'm going to throw this out on a Sunday night. It's going to be 25 people in a Zoom class. Here's the price. First 25 in. And the first one sold out in less than two hours. The second one, same thing. Third one, same thing. Fourth one, same thing. Great. So I've done all four classes. So I do it again. And the first one, great. Sells sells out. The second one took about two days to sell out. And the third one was the same as was the fourth one. And then I decided to do it again. And guess what? The first class did not sell out. Period. (laughs) Like I hit that week, I think I'd given myself a Sunday to a Thursday. I launched it Sunday, it hit Thursday. And all of a sudden I was like, okay, so this doesn't work anymore. But what have I learned from this? And what I learned was people were having problems with the timing because we were kind of coming to the point where people were doing things outside of COVID now, right? It wasn't just that we were all at home. It's like people, the world is evolving. Right. So it to evolve. So the model then became come to the masterclass if you can. If not, I can send you the video. So- was it a failure? I mean, kind of. The masterclass wasn't going to work the way it had when I set it up. It was a great success for three runs, but then it wasn't. But instead of being like, oh my God, these people aren't showing up, I would say, oh, okay, if they're not showing up, they don't have to be there, which means I can do a smaller class. I can be more tailored to those. And then eventually, as we came out of COVID, that just became coaching. And right. all of that was you know, five great clients as opposed to doing these masterclasses time and time again. I had these amazing people that I've continued to work with even till and through today. But that's what I mean. It's like never give up, right? That's all it's all working towards something and we're letting things fall away as they don't serve us. Mama, it is here and available for download. It's the new Modern Mamas Club app. We are so ready to join you on your personal journey 
from conflicted to centered, we want to take you on an evidence-based path from feeling conflicted all the time, from feeling pulled in all kinds of directions, from feeling burnt out to feeling really purposeful and aligned as you move through your working motherhood experience, no matter what is happening around you. So go check it out in the App Store. I think there's so many moms who can find themselves in that statement in their working lives and also in their parent lives. I think about my daughter who has autism and what I thought success would be as a mom with her before I became a parent, especially as a pediatrician. You know, and I, I think about, we have a, we have a nanny who I feel like now I shouldn't even call her a nanny because she's just so close to her. She's like part of our family at this point, <laughs> but she's a she, <laughs> nannies and, and nannies and sitters and caregivers make the world go around. They're, these are like the most people that we should be celebrating in our lives. So this person, this nanny, she's excellent with my kids and they respond to her in a way that's different than they do to me. And so for a long time, I felt less than because this person was able to actually have my kids act in a way that was what I originally thought would be success for me. Mm. And I had to change my perspective to say, my role in my kid's life is the attachment piece. It's the piece of me giving them like, I'm constantly here. I will never, ever leave you. It's me giving them all these enriching activities. And there's other people in my life that have other functions for them. She's amazing at school drop-off and pickup. I suck at school drop-off and pickup. I'm way too impatient for that. I want them to like get in the car and go. I have a meeting, you know, let's go. And she's amazing at it. And so I think for so many moms, we have this vision in our head. I don't know where it comes from Instagram it comes from maybe our parents who were like Betty Crockers in the kitchen with warm cookies when we came home but something of how they're going to be as a mom and then it doesn't look like that for them and they have to grapple with this idea of of course never give up on being a good parent but also maybe I need to change my definition of what success is Yeah. And I think one thing about parenting, someone said this to me years ago, and I will just say it to everyone listening right now, give yourself grace. It is not easy to be a parent. I have three children and they are so different. Literally each of them has their own personality, their own ups and downs within an hour of a day, within a minute of a day, sometimes I think. Mm -hmm. And there are times where I feel like I'm really doing a great job as a parent. And then there are other times when I'm just like, oh God, if someone was watching me right now, I would get an F in this job. Like a straight F. You know, it's like the day's been long and I'm losing my patience because nobody seems to ever want to get in bed when they're supposed to be in bed. And, you know, my mom is British. So I think we all went to bed at 6 p.m. every night. And so I don't know why I can't seem to get my son to fall asleep before 9.30. You know, it's just all this... All this stuff that we put upon ourselves, as I would say over the course of your life, the artificial timeline issue that we all do, we're like, by the age of 30, I'm going to have this. By the age of 40, like, mm-hmm. what is that timeline? Well, who is, you know, what does it matter if you do it at 41? Does it matter if you do it at 38? I mean, I don't know, but I don't think so. And it's mm-hmm. the same thing with kids. It's like, there is that version of the mom we all thought we were supposed to be because that's what TV put out there. You know, that's the messaging that we heard from the magazines or the books that we read when we were little about the role and the job of a mom. And I often think 
I mean, actually, I think it all the time now, and I say this a lot on when I'm speaking on panels, that we have been given a really false bill of goods as moms about what the priorities are in our life and what they should be. You know, I have seen so many people and, and have friends even who are so fixated on getting their Easter decoration set up. And while they're doing this, I honestly sometimes think to myself, like, you don't even know how to use an ATM card. Like, why do you care about your dinner table setting when you have no idea what is going on in the finances of your family? Where did we end up getting that message? Like, we as independent people should understand everything about our life. And yes, it's awesome to have a beautiful home. And that's so fun and great. But that is not the most important thing. And I think that was what was sold to our parents. Certainly that was sold to my mom. And I think she would say that without a doubt. But now in this world that we live in now, we have the ability to have these conversations and to open this up about what motherhood can look like and that it is not in any way, shape or form bad to want to live the life you want to live. And you know what you just said about pickup, like Pickup is not your thing. You have a thriving career. You have childcare who can help you do that and take away that particular point of something that you do not want to do and don't have time to do. Then you are living your best life right now. You are living the life you want to live. And that is your gift in life to yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I think too, the more that you step into these pieces of this is who I am, this is the thing that gives me energy, this is the thing that drains me completely that that helps you in business and in parenting. We talked about that idea of not giving up. We talked about the idea of being able to pivot and to see from an egoless perspective. What are the other things that you think moms or women need to know when they're in a sales position or a business position about having confidence? What are the other things that make them the best version of themselves in that world? There is one thing that I often hear women say, it's not moms, but it does seem to happen a lot with moms because there does seem to be a loss of confidence, especially if people take back seats and roles that they have, or they step out to be a parent. Sometimes they go back in. And one thing, I don't know if you've ever heard someone say this, but I've had friends say this to me. They're like, what do I know? I'm just a mom. I'm just a mom. Like you birthed child, you have kept a child alive for multiple years. I'm just a mom. No, you are a mom. And that is part of your history and part of what you are and who you are and what you're going to do with your life. So I see that as the thing that we should be using to boost our confidence because it is not easy to be a mom where everyone is relying on you all the time. And it is not easy to live the life you want when everyone is relying on you 24 seven for everything. So, you know, I think a large part of us owning our power and stepping into that power and claiming that confidence is really refocusing that word and what that means in a business environment. I'm a mom, which means I can not, I'm just a mom. There's no such thing as just a mom. Like you're a mom, step into that power. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. The other thing I was going to come back to on the whole energy draining or energy giving is thinking about as a businesswoman myself, deciding, like making conscious decisions around where I want to place my energy for my team members, for other people in my family, in the world, deciding within myself, 
is it worth the energy to soothe this person's anxiety or to soothe this person's needs in order for my business to move forward or my, my family to move forward? I learned this a lot in my pediatrics practice because we have a lot of parents who totally understandably are totally anxious when they come in, right? Their kid might have an ear infection. They're worried about it. And sometimes that person's energy or that person's vibe, it's so easy to take that on myself. Yes. And as women, I think we do that a lot, that we're caretakers. And so we're being trained and conditioned to really think about others' needs above our own. But when I can stop and separate someone else's needs from my own needs or separate what's best for my business from what someone as an individual needs while still holding it with grace and holding it, you know, I want to honor that person, but being able to prioritize myself first has really helped. Have you found that on your journey as well? Yeah. I talk in my second book in Claim Your Confidence about sprints and plateaus. And one of the things that I talk a lot about is in over the course of your life or of your career, how there are moments that where things really feel like they're out of control, right? And I call those sprints. It's like so much inbound, so much is happening. I've got to just get all this stuff done. It's a crazy time of year. I'm sure a lot of the moms out there can relate with those times of the year that there just seems to be a nonstop barrage of everything. And then things calm down again. And what I say often with the sort of sprints versus the plateaus is you almost have to think of it and mentally think about this time where everything is getting condensed and you're feeling very overwhelmed is a time to really prioritize yourself and prioritize, mm-hmm. prioritize the things that are important to you and let everything else go. So, you know, if I'm looking at you right now and you know that you're walking into a crazy busy day and you walk into that first meeting and there is someone completely spiraling, you have to match that with the fact that you have a very, very busy day as well. And so you have to know that part of you being there is to be there for them, but also to be able to keep on track and keep moving forward because you're in a sprint. So how do you do that? You prioritize yourself at that point and you take what they have, you condense it, you hand back the information and you keep moving. And so, you know, for me, that happens a lot in work where I'll have just an insane, I've come off of like six weeks of straight travel to the point where I was like, Hey guys, I'm your mom. Like, (laughs) yes, I've I've had that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with my face, but this is who I am in your life. And they're all like, oh, mom, we know, you know, but I said to them before, I'm like, I'm going into a sprint. It's going to be very busy. And then when we're done, we're going to have a great plateau. We're going on our spring break. I'm going to be home again. It's going to be fine, but I need to get through this during that time, during that sprint, anything that is non-essential for me, because I do a ton of informational interviews or podcasts or all that stuff. I do none of that during a sprint. I yeah. push all of that to the side until it's a plateau. So I can prioritize the things that are important to me at that time. Otherwise I get completely burnt out. And then I'm short with my children when I do see them. And I'm short with my husband and all the things that happen when you aren't fulfilled or you aren't feeling in control, you have to literally get them back and take ownership of that and make it on your terms. So I think this applies whether you're a business person or not. I'm exactly the same. When I'm on a sprint doing a book tour or when I'm in a PR season, those people hit you up for things that needs to be 24-hour turnaround. I'm just... My head's down. I'm working. Yes. There are other things too that I think, even if you're not a businesswoman, if you're a stay-at-home mom, if you're a mom who works in corporate America... 
today for the podcast, you asked me, you sent me an email. Do we have to, are we are doing video? Because I need to know if I need to have makeup on. Same here. I mean, like they can't see me, but my hair is not done. I just came off from doing a workout. I don't care. My laundry sitting there in my room because I'll get to that later. It doesn't matter right now. Like you said, the Easter decorations, like, is that really something your kid's going to remember? If it's something that brings you a lot of joy and energizes you and you love the Target Easter aisle, amazing. You go for it. But if it's something that you're putting on yourself as an obligation and you have more important things that you should be doing with your time and energy, please, for the love of God, just focus on those things as opposed to what you think you should be doing. And I think this truly is that idea of the super mom trying to get rid of that myth. We can't do it all. We have to prioritize what matters. Yeah. And I also truly believe that the other thing is that there's there's this super mom myth, but the bottom line is people are always like, you can't have it all. Like you cannot, but what is your all? That's what mm-hmm. you have to find. And sometimes just as simple as a pencil, a piece of paper and a pencil are going to be the things that are helpful in that conversation because everybody's all is different. You know, I have a schedule and a life that for most people probably seems manic and completely without any, without any interest for a lot of people. It's so fast paced. It moves so quickly. There's so many things. It is what I want. I love it. I thrive on being busy. I thrive on hopping on and off of planes and traveling for one day to California and coming back to be with my kids. Like, yes, I get tired at times, but this is what I want. You know, so if I am tired, like it's okay. I'm in pursuit of a big dream. That's fine. But what is your all? And don't let Instagram define your all. What is your all? Is it you want to be with your kids seven nights a week on the couch eating popcorn? Do it. You want to be an incredible pediatrician, killing it as a parent, do it. What is your all? Figure that out. Don't worry about what other people are doing. It has nothing to do with you. And one of my favorite quotes in the world is comparison is the thief of joy. And I say it to people all the time as they're complaining about someone else, like comparison is the thief of joy. The bottom line is it doesn't matter what other people are doing. It has nothing to do with you. It's not your path. It's not your journey. It's not your dream. So that's great that that person's doing that. That has nothing to do with you. Let it go. Move on. Okay. We're just going to leave it there because that was a huge mic drop. I love it. Lydia, thank you so much for being here. Tell everybody again, the name of your book, where they can find it, where they can find out more about you. So my book is Claim Your Confidence, Unlock Your Superpower, and Create the Life You Want. I am on Instagram at Lydia Finette, LinkedIn, Lydia Finette, Facebook, LinkedIn, everything is Lydia Finette. So if you need to find me, I'm very active on Instagram, especially. So if you have questions, feel free to DM. But yeah, get out and buy the book. It's on Amazon. It's also in independent bookstores everywhere. And I always prefer people that buy through bookstores because I love a good bookstore. Awesome. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Hey mama, if you want more of the Modern Mommy Doc podcast, make sure that you click subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We'd also be so honored if you shared with your friends and on social media with the hashtag Modern Mommy Doc. If you share about something that inspired you or that you learned from the podcast, we'll be sure to share it on our social media as well. Thanks for listening.